Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. Today's guest, Danish Karani, got into the work of designing learning spaces in an interesting way. He did not have a K-12 experience with amazingly designed learning spaces, which I know I did not, and many of you probably did not either. But he shares this great story that I'd never thought of this way, but when he's in kindergarten, another student has an accident that involves that kid peeing all over his pants. And Danish points out that it's really a design flaw in the building that led to this issue. And so when we think about well-being for kids, obviously that's something we care about because decades later, Danish still remembers this experience that had to be somewhat traumatic, and he blames the architect for it. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a little different look at well-being and engagement from the perspective of an architect who's building amazing things. His website at Karani has some amazing examples of work that he's done all over the world. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Today, I'm excited for you to learn from Danish Karani. He does amazing work in designing learning spaces. And so, if you've seen any of his work or if you go to the website that we'll put in the show notes, you will see some of the most beautiful learning spaces that I've seen that all have different purposes. And so, we're excited to talk to him today because as we think about well-being, engagement, and feedback for each student... Obviously, the space where that learning happens takes place is important. So, Donis, just by way of introduction, can you tell us a little bit how you got into this kind of work? What drew you into designing learning spaces this way? Hey, John. For me, my family immigrated to the U.S. when I was a young kid, and the importance of education was always drilled into us as a means of making a better life for ourselves. My parents worked very blue-collar jobs delivering pizzas, working at gas stations, pressing clothes at a dry cleaner. And they wanted better for me and and said, look, education is the way for you to have a better life. And so I've experienced it firsthand. I understand the importance of it. Now, growing up, I realized that the thing that I had a knack for was design and just understanding how to design things, how to solve problems with design, how to make things. And so I've really tried to combine those two. And as an architect, of course, I could choose to work on any type of project. You know, when I worked for other architects, when I was training, I designed everything from churches to high rises, to hotels, to offices. And when I was doing my graduate work, I ended up doing a lot of work with Boston Public Schools, the education leadership, uh, PhD students at the Harvard Ed School you know, worked with the Ministry of Education down in Rio de Janeiro and just started to apply design to education spaces. And, you know, it having played such a pivotal role in my own life, it just felt like the right thing. And so when I started my own practice, I decided 
of course, I want to do good with architecture. I want to make the world a better place. Where do I begin? And decided to go with education. It seemed like a gap in the industry. Of course, there were so many people focused on curriculum and pedagogy and professional development and improving education from all sides. And it seemed like the one thing that was being forgotten is the surroundings that we're putting kids in. Like, of course, we're going to have all these great things for them to interact with, but where does all that interaction take place? Where do where does the curriculum meet with the teacher, meet with the ed tech, meet with the, you know, certain practices that you want from your pedagogical approach? Where does, you know, where does that meet the learner? It's in a physical space and the design of that space influences how all those things work together. And just seemed like no one was really thinking about that carefully. And so because, you know, if you have a bad environment, that's got the ability to undermine all the investment you're making everywhere else. I thought, hey, you know what? We should probably start thinking about this more. So you said growing up, you travel around with your Legos and we're always building things and sketching things out. I was curious, did you go to any schools since you moved around multiple countries and you were in a lot of different places? Did you go to any schools that had well-designed learning spaces or have you come to this just out of the obvious need for this? Because the spaces I see on your website, I have not seen those spaces in the schools I grew up in, which were not in high value communities. There wasn't a lot of, um, there weren't a lot of resources in the schools <laughs> I, I grew up in, and I never saw anything like that. But did you had, did you catch a vision for it there, or was it just from the need that you no. saw? No, def, def, definitely not. K-12 for me was very typical, you know, cinder block hallways. Um, I, I imagine like what most people go through. Um, no thought is just very, what's the most economical solution that we can cram kids into to churn out, you know, worker bees. For me, you know, the first, I'd say, extremely creative environments that was that I was in is when I went to college and, and grad school, when I was at Rice and when I was at Harvard studying in the architecture schools. And those buildings were intentionally designed for creativity. And, and so that intentionality really came through and it, it did affect me. I, I jokingly say I I'm, got to where I am in spite of the K-12 environments that I was mm-hmm. in. So much so that, for example, when I was in kindergarten, I was about six years old. And I remember one day, you know, I was sitting in class, we were listening to a story about something, and I just really had to use the bathroom. And the bathroom was at the back of our class. And so I walked back into the bathroom. And when I walked in, another boy walked in, but from the other side of the bathroom. And this is like a single occupancy bathroom meant for one child. And he had his pants down and he was ready to go. He just started peeing all over the place <laughs> and he peed right on me. And I was in shock. I was like, what is happening? Like I'm literally yeah. getting peed on and my pants are soaking wet. Like what? Oh. And, and the crazy thing about it, John, is that it wasn't the other kid's fault. It was just terrible design. I mean, there was one bathroom that two classrooms shared, you know, and as a kid, you're not really taught like, hey, there's another classroom on the other side of this bathroom. Your teacher just says like, here's our bathroom, go there. And to expect a six-year-old to not only lock the door behind me, but to go lock a second door, what was the architect thinking? And so, you know, I had to, it was so embarrassing. Like I had to go back to class 
pretend like I wasn't soaking wet. Luckily, like my teacher saw me squirming and realized like something was wrong. And she had a pair of, you know, some acid wash jeans from the 90s just that yeah. around uh, for kids who had accidents. And, you know, but it was such an embarrassing moment as a six-year-old to go through that. And it was because of bad design, you know, and, and granted that didn't like harm me in terms of my learning that day. But just to give you an example of like what that did to my experience, right? And so those little decisions or lack of thoughtful decisions all over our schools every single moment a child's there, like we're affecting them. Yeah. So I'm older than you. So I didn't realize when you started that story about getting peed on that there was going to be this brilliant silver lining of getting to wear some acid wash jeans because <laughs> that would have been the height of fashion for me in elementary school. So um, it's a little dated for you, I guess. But my last two years of high school were in the coal fields of West Virginia. And so it really was, to your point, it was just about having a building that you could construct as cheaply as possible where you could have kids. And so th those buildings haven't even, I'm sure in the last 30 years have not really been refurbished because the economic decline in West Virginia has made it. So the tax base is even worse than it was when I was there because the coal industry has dried up, which, you know, for many reasons is a, is a positive thing, but economically in West Virginia, that's just increasingly depressed it. So having mm -hmm. gone back and visited there and, and seeing schools that were in, in really sad shape and not thoughtfully designed in the first place, to your point about the bathroom, I mean, clearly an architect was <laughs> not thinking through that through the eyes of a kindergartner or mm -hmm. even a kindergarten teacher that could have said, hey, this isn't a good idea. It's now poorly designed to begin with, done with this cheaper material and low bid always. I mean, it was always low bid. You end up with people that, you know, you're not using great materials. You're not using any kind of design thinking where you're doing empathy interviews to understand what it would be like to be a kindergartner using the restroom. You're just building it as quote unquote, efficiently as you can with no eye on whether it's actually effective because, you know, you get peed on by another kid. I don't know how many years removed you are from that. You still remember that. That mm -hmm. clearly is going to impact your learning um, that day. And every time you go back to use that bathroom, I know I would be like, I'm, I don't want that to happen again. I might be a little hesitant to, to use that bathroom. And so, I think those things are real and clearly they're traumatic and could have been avoided if you just have a decent design to a building that really doesn't cost anymore other than if you're trying to save money on only having one bathroom for every two classrooms. There is a small savings there, but probably not worth the savings. So I guess what I would say to you is how do you then given the fact that you've had <laughs> these negative experiences in K through 12 and then these amazing experiences at Harvard and Rice, how do you partner with people to design these spaces? And I guess to that, like who is in the conversations typically with you when your team goes in and starts thinking about ways to design these spaces for optimal learning? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I'll say this, if I were designing a kindergarten, then the six-year-olds are a part of that conversation That's because great. I want to know when you walk into this bathroom, are you able to navigate it? And does it make sense to you? And so I think that's probably what was missing in all the K-12 environments that I've, that I've been in growing up is that, of course, as students, like we weren't involved in that design process because it was 
low bid. It was cheap as fast as quickest way possible. And so for me, it's really important to involve the end users, the people that are going to be in the space. That's the teachers, the students. Sometimes it's even bringing in the parents, community members, talking to the janitorial staff of like, are you going to be able to maintain this space? Um, teachers, are you going to know how to optimally use this space and modify this space as you change, you know, from one activity or lesson to the next? Um, students, like, is this space inspiring? Is this, you know, going to get you excited to come here? Are you going to be able to intuitively use the space and do what you need to do? So for me, it's important to have them in the process. And I think John, to your earlier point, I think too much of like when we're building learning spaces, often, you know, schools and districts will have project managers to shepherd that process. And I think one of the big flaws is that the metrics for success are not aligned. So right. often I see this where like a project manager, they are judged based on, did you deliver on time and on budget? Yep. Okay. Well, that bathroom, when I was the six-year-old, I'm sure that was delivered on time and on budget, but did that make for a good experience for me as a student? Absolutely not. So I think, you know, until schools and districts really think about the right metrics that for us to call this project a success, it's not just about did we deliver on time and on budget? Like we have to think about the experience that was provided for students and for educators. We have to think about the outcomes. Did this actually help us meet our educational goals? I, I think too often when we're creating buildings, the goals are limited to budget and timeline because those feel like they're easiest to measure and quantify. We need to start quantifying our educational goals and the impact goals. Like what type of changes are we trying to see in the lives of students? So when I'm designing a space, that's the first thing that we're figuring out, me and the leadership team, is, hey, what are, what's the transformation we want to see in people? Whether it's your organization as a whole, the teachers and your staff, the students, what are the transformations that we want to see? And let's design towards that. And then at the end, once people have moved into the space and they've got some time to get their bearings and they're working in the space, let's actually go back and measure. Like, did we do a good job? That should be the sign of a successful project, not just that, you know, we delivered on the date that we said we delivered on. Of course, that's important too. But what, what good is a school building if you delivered on time and on budget, but it's a crappy building that doesn't actually help with your educational goals? I mean, I've been brought in I'm not even being facetious here. This is not hyperbole. I've been brought in to renovate a school building that was one year old. Literally wow. a building that was built one year into its existence, the school district realized like, actually, this is a terrible design. It's not working. So they spent, I think, over $50 million building that school building and then had to redo parts of it. And yeah. so... Really, like, what good is it? You know, then, then you're actually just wasting time and money by only focusing on time and money. Yeah. So this is an important question. And I love what you're getting to about measuring the impact 
on student learning that the building has. And so I'm curious if you have evidence of the impact on student learning that some of your learning spaces have had, whether you're collecting it or the district or school partners you're working with have, do you have evidence of when you build spaces this way, whatever way that is, you get these results? Have you gotten to that level of refinement with your data collection? I do. Yeah. And, you know, I like to, I work with researchers and and we go back, um, we we do pre-occupancy research of just kind of what's the status quo before we got there, before I started designing and then post-occupancy as well, let's say maybe six months, a year, and sometimes even longitudinal just to see kind of what was the trajectory of those students. So I'll give you an example, John. Um, I've been working with Google now for a few years to create these STEM labs. Uh, They're called Codenext Labs. They're providing free computer science education after school and on the weekends. And so, you know, I've been tracking those students um, for for years now. The the first lab that I built was, um, I think it's been six years now. And for example, like the target audience there was Black, Hispanic, and Native American students. And when you look nationally at um, Black and Hispanic students, right, the the rate that they go to college is uh, nationally is about 37% of the time, Black and Hispanic students. Now, the Code Next Lab that I designed is for that same target audience. But when they came through this lab, that first cohort that graduated from Code Next, they went to college and university 92% of the time. So we're talking two and a half X better. Now, when we look at, you know, one of the big goals of that program, Code Next, that lab is to get them passionate about STEM, computer science, and engineering, and see if we can encourage them to pursue that as a career. If you look at Black and Hispanic students nationwide, the percentage that majors in STEM when they go to college is 19%. When they came through the space that I designed for Code Next, they majored in STEM 88% of the time. Huge increase. So it's not just, uh, and, and that's some of the longitudinal, let's say over you know, the trajectory of five or six years looking at, at students. Um, even the latest Code Next space that I just designed, looking at it, you know, six months after the newest cohort of students have been there and going in to see, okay, um, does this space make you feel like an inventor? Well, 93% of them said, yeah, it does very much so make me feel like an inventor. Um, 100% of the students said this space makes me excited about STEM. Uh, you know, I asked them um, with the researchers, you know, does this space um, make you feel inspired to pursue a career in STEM? 73% said yes. Um, and you you start to look at, you know, well, two out of three students said they feel more confident in the space I designed than the regular school, or they 73% feel more innovative at the space that I've created than their regular school. So this is the kind of research that I'm going in to do because for me, it's the efficacy needs to be there. If, if I'm going to create this space, if we're going to work this hard, we're going to design this intentionally, I want to know that what's the impact that it's having on students and teachers. 
Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's a combination of both this quantitative data collection that I just rattled off, as long as qualitative, uh, as well as qualitative, you know, talking to students and teachers and interviewing them and figuring out, okay, what works well for you? What doesn't work? What do you like? And that then feeds into the next project I do and feeds into everything else that I'm doing. So constantly like improving the spaces by actually being rigorous about collecting data. That's great. I, I love the data points and it's hard to argue <laughs> with those data points. And, and in the end, whether or not the space is causal or there are other things going on in that that are causing those changes, when you see those types of more than to double, like that's a huge win. <laughs> like there's no, I, I, I'm like, we don't, I, I'm like, that's a success <laughs> period. So I think that that's amazing. So as you look ahead, uh, what's the most exciting project you see on the horizon that you're working on that you're really excited to see where it might go, uh, or you already have some evidence that this is going to be a huge win. What, what's something that gets you excited in the next year or two? Uh, there's a couple that I'm working on right now that are really fun. I think could be great examples moving forward. Um, I'll give you three, John. One is in Baltimore. I'm working with a nonprofit that teaches inner city youth how to design and develop products and turn those into businesses. I think what's really exciting about this one, and I'm, I'm creating their headquarters in the space where they teach students and run workshops and students have their own working spaces and makerspace and design studios and recording booths and meeting spaces. The thing that's really exciting about that is, you know, I, I think a lot of what's taught in high school is pretty useless. It's not real world relevant. Um, sure. Like I still remember that in 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but like, what does that really do for me right now? Um, and so I, I think, you know, organizations that are equipping students with like skills that are going to help them improve their lives and, and are really like thinking about the future of these children. I think designing for that and creating more models like that, I think is really exciting. So it's, it's fun to support organizations like that. Um, down in Alabama, I'm working with a nonprofit where we're creating these uh, tech playgrounds, essentially, um, that are community resources. So it's almost like the way that the library for hundreds of years has been that place where the community goes to access knowledge and tools and information. And these tech playgrounds are essentially that, but, um, you know, building tech literacy um, and teaching community members and students and adults, how to use technology, whether it's designing apps or coding or laser cutting, 3D printing, um, recording podcasts, doing video production, anything to do with tech. Um, so think of it like a library for learning how to do tech. Um, and we're designing it like a playground. So it's this extremely fun, unintimidating place where anyone can pop in. So I think that's a that'll be really interesting to see that and how that evolves relative to like what libraries, the role libraries have played for us. And the other one, um, I'm working um, with this group in Kansas to create this incubator for micro schools. So I think one of the challenges, and I've I've designed 
several micro schools and startup schools with incredible entrepreneurs, educators. I think one of the challenges for them is always the space and and the physical. Um, let's let's say the the hurdle that they have to cross of like getting the physical space and the capital to do that, the know-how to do that, even something like zoning and rezoning a space if they're renovating someplace, you know, that it's not an easy challenge. Um, and fortunately, like the ones that have worked with me, I'm able to hold their hand through the process. But what I'm doing in Kansas now is we're creating this place where multiple micro schools can incubate. And so we're taking care of the infrastructure problems for them, all the resources, the this different specialty environments, all those, you know, surroundings that they'll need to run their programs, all of that we're taking care of. So they can just focus on what they're great at, which is teaching and running a school and, you know, being a visionary in education. So I think that's also really exciting. We've got VC backing for that this idea that we can create these places where like visionary educators can just focus on what they are great at and not have to worry about all these other things. Like we, it's almost like when you're starting a business and you're like, well, I'm a designer. I don't want to have to worry about marketing and bookkeeping and legal and contracts and this HR. I'm, I'm just a designer. I want to be great at what I do. A lot of times, you know, businesses fail or it's hard for people to run businesses because you have to do all this other stuff. But what if we could take that off your plate so you can just focus on what you're great at, which is creating new models for education. So great. I'm glad you're doing that work. So uh, I have just four last kind of quick questions for you. So you can answer these in like a word, phrase, sentence. This first one may take a little bit of description, but which space that you have designed would have been your favorite as a kid? So go back to like 10-year-old Dunish. Uh, what would have been your favorite space that you've designed? Riverbend School. It's a school I designed in India. It's designed around happiness and wellness, completely turning the traditional model on its head, where traditionally schools focus on cramming kids' heads with content and then teaching them skills and then maybe worrying about their character and happiness. And this is the complete opposite where the most important thing in this school is, are you happy and are you well? And it's designed around that, it's designed for social relationships and bonding because that's what leads to happiness. The whole place is designed like a village. And so it's just this intimate, tight-knit community where every child is cared for, feels loved, feels like they're part of something. And so for me, I, I would have loved to go to school there. If yeah, I could do it all over again, <laughs> you have pictures of that school on the website, right? That that I do. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks amazing. So that that's just seems like a great answer. What is one word people would use to describe you? Hmm. You're asking for what I'm hoping or what I think is true. Uh, you can give me both. Like, what What do you hope? And then what do you think if you if we were to ask the the, the partners that you work with, how would they describe you? Uh, hopefully, supportive equally passionate about their goals and what they care about and creative. Yeah. Some of the solutions that we've come to together, I think have been really breakthrough. Yeah. I, I, that seems to make sense given the way you're describing your process and then the spaces you've created, they're all very different, which makes me believe mm -hmm. that you're supportive because you don't come up with all these different ideas. If you're just coming up with them out of your own head and pushing things down 
uh, people's throats. So uh, that makes sense. What's one word that you would use to describe the work you do? So if you had to encapsulate, this is the work I do, and here's the word, or you can use a phrase. How would you describe it? I'd say necessary and overlooked. Mm. That's very true. And then the last one, what is a word or a phrase that you hope represents the next year ahead of us in education? Right now in the U.S., at least, it feels like things are really polarized. It's it's not the most optimistic time we've ever had in education. So if you could pick a word or a phrase to describe the next year, it doesn't mean that it will be what it should be, but what would the word or phrase be for you? Focus on what matters. Mm. That's good. Good word. And I love the way you're talking about what matters as being more than being the low bid on time. It's what matters for kids. And that's why we got into education. I mean, I'm on the teaching and leadership side, but I so appreciate the way your spaces speak to that. And I hope more people will listen and pay attention to spaces because of the work you're doing. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, John. It's fun. You know, I hope people start to think about learning environments a bit more. And if they want to learn more, just reach out to me. I'm happy to happy to talk. That's great. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, John. Take care. What sticks with me from today's conversation with Donish is the way he really listens to the end user and then identifies evidence of impact that I think is so lost in our world of education right now. We're not focusing on the end user and what impact the spaces that they learn in has on them. We're not doing that in a lot of different ways. And I just love that he brings that perspective that of course, if he's designing a kindergarten space, he's talking to five and six year olds about what that looks like. And so I think in a world of low bids and just trying to be on time and under budget, We miss so much in what we could get if we were able to invest some time in just listening to what each student needs. And in the end, that's what education's about. How do we identify the gifts and needs of each student so that we can help each of them flourish? So I hope you have a great week in the profession that makes all others possible. And we look forward to more time with you. We may take a break in July for a little bit of a rest for us. We pray that you get rest this summer as well. And if you're done with school, we hope you can enjoy some time relaxing with family and friends this summer so that you come back recharged for another fall of amazing learning. Uh, We'll be back with more episodes in August. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. Join us for our Just Schools Academy this June, where we will use Dr. Eckert's book, Just Teaching, to do better work together.